This is Winning Slowly, taking the long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art. Because doing good work takes time. I'm Chris Kreitschow. And I'm Stephen Caradini, and this is Season 4, Episode 3, and today we're going to talk about Star Wars! Wars the Force Awakens! I could do the entire theme song. I could, in fact, hum the entire soundtrack for this movie. Indeed. But I'm Indeed. not going to do that, because you should just buy this soundtrack instead of listening to me hum it badly. Yeah, and I already told them we weren't going to do that. <laughs> So, but we are really excited about Star Wars. It's been really, really exciting to hear that a franchise that Chris and I both know and love is being revived, not rebooted, although we'll get to that. Kind of. <laughs> and and it's back, and we're going to have back. more of them, and spinoff movies, and ad infinitum, and I'm cool with this. And it's been particularly interesting because Star Wars is now moving very quickly towards being the top-grossing movie of all time. It's at sixth or fifth as of right now, but uh, China's about to go online for that, so who knows where it'll be by the time (laughs) you actually hear this. And there's just a whole lot of hype, and we're really excited about it. So we're going to talk about it. What do you think, Chris? Well, I've seen it three times, so... Wow. <laughs> Whoa. We, we saw it the Friday that it came out, which wasn't technically opening day, even though it was technically opening day. And then we saw it for my wife's birthday because she really liked Star Wars 2. I am a happy man who found a woman as nerdy as me for a wife. Works out well for us. <laughs> and then we saw it with some friends again this last Saturday. So we're at about once a week on average so far. I think we're done, though. I was about to say, that's, that's really, really unsustainable. It's, it's quite unsustainable. Movie tickets are expensive, man. Yeah, they are, man. Yeah, they are. But the but... short answer is, as a guy who once, well, once helped moderate the largest Star Wars books and comics forum on the internet, I liked it. I liked it a yeah. lot. Yeah. I'm not exactly at Chris's level, but I'm not a filthy casual either. I have read... <laughs> The uh, Jedi Apprentice books, oh dear. which happened before. Hey, hey, you, you shush your mouth. I will. That is not the point of this episode, but I will defend him. So I've read those books and I have enjoyed the Star Wars movies. And I am one of like 17 people who really loved episode one. So uh, I have some some bona fides, at least in the contrarian sense i love the so. soundtrack for episode one well that's not the point of this episode either <laughs> uh. but i also very much enjoyed the movie but what's been interesting to me is that as i've been talking to couples who have gone and seen this together because a lot of my friends have gone and seen it together wives and husbands girlfriends boyfriends etc um significant others all that What's been interesting to me is that there's often been kind of a division and that one of them will be like, yes, I loved it. And the other will be like, yeah, yeah, you know, (laughs) man, it was a thing. It was cool. And I've been really intrigued by this because what Chris and I saw and what other people saw were very different experiences of the same movie that had to do with things inside and outside the movie itself. It's true. Though I will say that just repeated viewings can help move people from the latter category into the former category. When my wife saw it the first time, she thought, 
that was okay. She saw it the second time and she thought, yeah, I, I kind of like that. And she saw it the third time and she was going, oh, I really enjoyed that. So yeah. sometimes people just have to see it more than once. Yeah. But that, I think, actually takes us into exactly what you were saying, is that external versus internal. And this gets into an interesting art discussion. So here we're fulfilling part of our remit. Uh, art mm-hmm. is one of the things we talk about. Mm-hmm. And there are external and internal factors in why we appreciate different pieces of art. And in Star Wars, it's unavoidable, well, almost unavoidable, to have some of those external factors influence how you think about it. Because Star Wars has been a cultural phenomenon since... 1977. 1977, which is almost 40 years. That's a yep. long time. It's a big part of our culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is that particularly some people were upset about the fact that Episode 6 and Episode 7 have very similar storylines. You could also say that Episode 4, 6, and 7 have very similar things going on. And I would argue that 5 is different. But you could lump that all in there together and say that Seven largely repeats themes and even shots that we've seen before. Mm -hmm. And while I haven't talked to anybody who thought it was boring, (laughs) I have talked to people who thought that, one, it diminished the value of the achievement in Episode 6, that by Episode 7, everything has gone to crap again and they need to go blow up another giant thing and a whole world die and you know there's evilness everywhere and you know why did episode six have to happen my wife in particular said either episode six was not the big bad and episode seven is the big bad and thereby episode six isn't as interesting as we thought it was or episode six was the big bad and episode seven isn't the big bad and therefore it's diminishing itself by even existing <laughs> um, which that's, is that's a fair point that it, it is an interesting point at least uh i think i would actually disagree pretty strongly with that because it raises the question of and this is one of the things that good art does it challenges you and it people see it from different angles and people yep. come away with different things I look at that and I see one of the perennial questions that literature raises for us, which frankly is one of the perennial questions that life raises for us. How cute was that robot? <laughs> that wasn't the question, but it is a good question. <laughs> BB-8 purring about broke my brain, I confess. Yeah. yeah. But, but what do you do with the fact that no single generation finishes the battle? Every generation, as one of the characters puts it in The Force Awakens, has to fight against darkness again. Every generation has to pick up its own lightsabers and its own blasters and fly the Millennium Falcon to war against the forces of darkness. And you can handle that different ways. You can either say that this was the climactic battle and it won't ever have to be fought again. Or you can say that this was a climactic battle and every generation has to fight that battle for itself. Or tyranny and darkness win and me i find that latter approach deeply compelling and deeply interesting but i can see how steven's wife or others who felt that way came away with that feeling i get it i just don't share it yeah and i think that there are some people i read an article that basically says this is a hopeless world then if there is no sense of of goodness ever winning or the fight ever being over And I think that that Hmm. is less true 
than the concreteness of it, like this is a hopeless world. I think that there is a tension between light and dark always, even if we shouldn't be necessarily using that for sermon illustrations. <laughs> Please don't. Thanks, Nathan Finn. But I think that there is this ongoing struggle. And even though it is hard to be faced with the reality that 20 to 30 years later, the same things were going on, that's sometimes how it works. And I think that there is an argument to be made that something like Star Trek, which has wars in it, but then it goes back to exploring, adventuring, discovering new things. It isn't governed by a war principle or a light versus dark principle, but this is called Star Wars. So there there's going to be some wars in your stars, kids. going to be some wars in your stars. <laughs> so I think there is something to be said for this ongoing battle of light versus dark and how it figures into literature and video and all of music and all the ways that we express art. I think you can't get away from that. But I think there is a level at which from a storytelling perspective, I'm ready to see something new and interesting. I'm ready to to see the, the world progress out of this eternal loop. Right. I've got good news for you, Stephen. Do you? Well, episode seven was directed by J.J. Abrams, who, let's be honest, has wanted to direct a Star Wars movie for a long time. And in fact, directed Mm. two of them before this, but he called them Star Trek instead. Yeah, I agree with you. (laughs) Episode like audition tapes. They they totally were. (laughs) Episode eight is directed by Ryan Johnson. And if you look at his oeuvre so far, it's not much like J.J.'s oeuvre at all. Ryan Johnson, I think, is going to direct a really strange, different, weird. In fact, J.J. Abrams has commented, having seen the script, that it's a weird little movie. And, well, (laughs) I'm kind of excited (laughs) about that because... I think episode seven did what it needed to do. It reassured all the hardcore, crazy old fans like me, only old, uh, that (laughs) this was Star Wars and it was going to be okay. And it reassured the people like me who are, you know, in our late 20s coming on towards 30 that this is Mm -hmm. Star Wars. It's going to be okay. We're not going to ruin this. Yeah. And I think in a lot of ways, that's one of the big successes of The Force Awakens, is it does that. It says, this is Star Wars. We're not going to stomp on your memories. We might do some new things. We might give it a few twists, some of them awesome, like Mm. you know, the leads, who were awesome, Mm -hmm. and both also emoted more in their first scene than most of the prequel actors did in an entire trilogy, but... Hey, that's not the point here either. (laughs) I'm gonna keep saying that. (laughs) Yeah, but I'll keep throwing... my childhood. I said that as Hayden Christian so like as I could, just for you. Do do you hate sand? I just stop, stop. <laughs> but no, I think that this movie did a good job of saying we're back, and then opening the door so that next year's Rogue One can be a totally different kind of Star Wars movie, and the year after that's Episode Eight can be a totally different kind of movie, and it doesn't have to retread these paths. And this is an interesting thing, because in one sense, it's kind of like the new Marvel movies in that it is this big, connected, shared universe. But it's not like them in that they're not all trying to connect and tell the same story. And it's not like them in that, I mean, it's Star Wars. And it's not like them in that they're making up new stories and not retelling stories that have already been told. And Which, much to the shame and chagrin of all the expanded universe fans like me r.i.p expanded universe r.i.p indeed but i think there's a lot of fun potential here 
That's true. People kept trying to tell me like who these characters were in like relation to the expanded universe. I'm like, no, that's the expanded universe. <laughs> like that's Star Wars. I'm like, I I have to tell you something very sad. <laughs> it no longer. I, I don't know if you know this or not, but all those things you read, they didn't they weren't happen. Real. <laughs> they didn't happen. They're legends. <laughs> I see what you did there. One of the. <laughs> One of the things that I'm I'm interested with is seeing how Star Wars changes in the years ahead, how it becomes more broadly appealing. And Star Wars has always had a pretty broad appeal. But let's be honest, having a woman and a black guy as the lead broadens the appeal in some really cool ways. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm excited about that. I'm kind of excited. Having a strong, independent woman who don't need no man as the lead <laughs> yeah. was a, a very refreshing change. It, it, it was. And honestly, I'm kind of excited for Ellie to be old enough to dress up like Ray. hopefully mm. maybe this year. Because let's be honest, that's adorable. <laughs> and it, Lightsaber. It's totally going to be a thing that happens as soon as I can persuade her that it's a thing that should happen. Yeah, you just gotta. The movie's just gotta come out on. <laughs> oh man, I almost said DVD. Nobody even does DVD anymore. Are we gonna have like a big event when it's like coming to Netflix? Like that's not exciting. Coming to iTunes. Coming that's, to digital distributors that's, near. That's not you? exciting. We need a better thing because like DVDs used to be like a thing. It was like a midnight for books. Like this coming to DVD. No longer. Hmm. Well, I guess it, I mean it will event. It will theoretically come to DVDs. You could it will, buy one but, if you but want. No it, really, will be, but no one will be. No one will care. Uh, yeah, I mean, someone's going to put it on their wall. <laughs> so we're tackling this idea of globalization and global culture, and things like Star Wars are fascinating in that regard. I mean, as Stephen mentioned earlier, it's about to have its opening in China, which, on the one hand, seems kind of weird to me that it's taking this many weeks before it opens in China. But on the other hand, means that it's probably going to make gobs more money. And this idea of global fandoms is kind of new, kind of strange. I mean, it's been around for a while in I mean, some Japanese ways. anime in America right. and other places, et cetera, et cetera. There are things like that. But we're increasingly in this internet normalized era in a, in a time where fandoms aren't limited to one place you're you can be a fan of sherlock holmes anywhere you can be a fan of a really interesting book called the three body problem which we're hoping to talk about at the end of this season which came out of china when you live here Mm -hmm. in the u.s fandom Mm -hmm. and translation and all of these things are increasingly normal realities and that affects star wars just as much as anything else Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think it's particularly interesting that Americans have, by dint of Star Wars being an American movie, been immersed in Star Wars culture for the last 40 years, where a lot of other places haven't been as immersed for as long, namely China. So even though China is about to open uh, to Star Wars very shortly, the pre-sales, which in America were essentially a never-ending cascade of dollar signs... (laughs) In China, they have been significantly less for the opening night and opening weekend pre-sales. That doesn't mean that they're not going to have a bunch of people show up opening weekend and still make a bunch of money. But the level of enthusiasm that people showed by buying months in advance pre-sales just kind of doesn't exist in China because they haven't really 
captured that market yet. Now, what's really fascinating to me is that in music, it's no longer common. It happens. Taylor Swift just did a show in China or a series of shows in China. It happens that one franchise or one artist or one concept can become giant world conquering thing like the Adele concept, <laughs> um, her as a performer, her music, her live show. She has taken over culture in a particular way that is extremely unusual for this day and age. We're much more used to nichifying everything. Mm -hmm. And so with Disney picking up Star Wars and trying to reinvigorate this brand and turn it into a born global brand, that's particularly interesting to me because that's not the sort of thing that you can do anymore normally. But Star Wars might be an exception because, well, it's Star Wars, and Star Wars already has a massive, massive brand, such that even though, as, as an article Stephen read as we were talking about this put it, and in this anticipation of things opening in China, well, they didn't grow up with it. And they're pretty excited, in fact, about Kung Fu Panda. And, I mean, being more excited about Kung Fu Panda than about Star Wars seems really strange to me because I'm a huge Star Wars nerd. But, but it, you also don't have pandas. It's, it, so. That's a true story. <laughs> but, uh, and mine definitely don't do Kung Fu. <laughs> it's true. But... Your non-existent pandas do non-existent kung fu. My, my non-existent pandas do not do kung fu. But one of the things that's fascinating is if Disney pulls this off, what they'll have done is taken a very large American or even Western brand and globalized it. And I think they probably will pull that off. They already have shown pretty substantial success at doing that with Marvel and with their associated comic book universe. Disney, more than anybody else in the world, knows how to globalize a brand. And in some ways, that's great, of course. But there's also always the inherent sense of risk of loss as culture becomes increasingly global. People worry that you'll end up with culture flattened out. Now, I'm not actually worried by that, because I think at the same time as you see certain globalizing trends, as you see McDonald's popping up everywhere, you also see that increasing localization, mm -hmm. which we've talked about both in previous episodes and which you mm -hmm. referred to a moment ago, in things increasingly finding their niche. And so I think even if Star Wars does become a globe-dominating brand, as to me it seems fairly inevitable that it will do, that doesn't mean that other kinds and forms of art, including cinema, won't continue to flourish, and in fact that other very local forms of art, including cinema, won't continue to flourish. I have no worries about Chinese cinema continuing to do very well, and in fact doing better than it has in the past, for the very same underlying technological reasons that make Star Wars as a global phenomenon a possibility. So I'm fascinated by that too, but I'm further interested in what would happen if Star Wars didn't take on in China, because China is the biggest market in the world, right? So if, it's true. if Chinese people feel like, yeah, this story just doesn't resonate with me, I really just don't, I just, I just kind of don't, <laughs> then I would be fascinated to see what would happen because Disney makes a bunch of money, more money usually than in America by syndicating their stuff 
internationally. That's that's right. where the money is made, as they say. And so I'd be fascinated to see if this movie doesn't make the bukus of money comparatively that they want it to, that like it made in America. What would they do for episode nine? Because obviously episode eight is already shooting. Everything is kind of there. I doubt that episode seven will be able to have any effect on episode eight at this point. Right. It might change marketing of it, but that's probably all it would right. change. Right. Um, which is not inconsequential, of course. No. Um, but I think it'd be interesting to see what a brand looks like when it does fail globally. Because we see that sometimes you see companies leave markets, but it's usually these big industrial conglomerates that are nameless, faceless, and they just turn up as <laughs> jobs lost, right? Right. But for something this big and this obvious and this huge, it would be interesting to me to see what Disney's response would be if what is now one of their flagships just doesn't take overseas. <laughs> yeah. Because – Yeah, and wow. it would be a surprise if it doesn't, but it's possible. Right. Uh as, as much as we would expect, yeah, this will probably do well, and as much as Disney could afford even for it not to do well, given that it made back its production costs in the first weekend oh, yeah. in the United yeah. States. It would still be interesting to see, do they shift? Do they adjust? Do they think about ways to tackle it? And I suspect one of the ways that they would be more likely to adjust there would not be so much in Episode Nine. But in the spin-offs, how do you tweak those so that those might have an appeal that would be different from the main line? Right. Because you have to be very careful with your main line in something like Star Wars not to alienate the fans. Mm -hmm. But you have a lot more freedom to experiment. Mm -hmm. And that's actually one of the things I think is most interesting artistically here is they've opened up a lot more room for experimentation. I mean, Rogue One promises to be in everything they've said about it marketing wise and what they've shown so far a relatively gritty war movie which is not your average star wars movie mm, true and so there's that the flip side of it is it takes us back to a question we've had before which is how much should profit and profitability in some given target market drive your artistic decisions right. and the answer depending on the on the piece of art is not at all or some or a lot yeah. And for Disney, of course, looking at this, they're going to think, eh, probably a lot. They've made a big investment. $4 billion for Lucasfilm is no joke. Mm -hmm. But I also suspect that someone like Ryan Johnson or even someone like Colin Trevorrow, who's the director for Nine, are probably going to want to do it more as a piece of art than purely as a piece of commercial action. Obviously, you can't disentangle Star Wars from commercialism. Star Wars... Basically invented commercialism. Practically invented modern <laughs> commercialism with movies. So you, you can never disentangle those. Which is why the parody of its commercialization in Mel Brooks' Spaceballs is so funny. All of that to say, uh, I agree with you. It will be interesting to see, but I kind of suspect you won't see... Even if it doesn't explode in China, the fact that it's already the fifth or sixth largest grossing movie ever mm -hmm. means Disney can safely say, even if it doesn't do well in China, we don't have to care. But that's a fascinating thing, if so, in that it might reflect cultural biases in terms of the way the movie is made. And I would be interested to talk to someone from China and ask them what they think about Star Wars and what, because it is originally based on 
westerns and samurai movies. Like those were the mashed those up. Those the source yeah. inspirations. So there's an element where uh, an East Asian flair kind of exists subtextually, but there's also you know very American kind of elements to how people emote and how they understand things and what their reactions yeah. are as opposed to uh, an Eastern Asian understanding of things. <laughs> so I would be really interested if they just look at it and say, that is Americans in space, or if they have <laughs> a different understanding of, of how Star Wars works. I mean, cause you, I mean yeah. honestly, episode four is basically Americans in space. <laughs> It's true, though episode seven is basically British people in space. It's uh, so. true. They're all British. So it is fascinating to see how people react to the movie, who are from here, who are from other places. But overall, I'm just really amazed that, A, it worked. The movie, the yeah. movie works. Uh, B. It's not perfect, but it works really well. It's not perfect, but it works really well. B, and before I leave A, Kylo Ren, no, stop, please, quit. We will, of course, link obligatorily to the emo Kyle Ren Twitter account <laughs> because it's hilarious. Uh, but other than that, worked out great. B, it lived up to its hype. It really did. Which yeah. is astonishing. Nothing lives up to its hype. <laughs> That's what hype is for, to be disappointed. <laughs> to be disappointed. But in, JJ managed not to crush our childhoods. It's true. it's true. And give us some fun jokes and good action scenes and new planets. Great and characters. Great characters. And yeah. in my personal favorite thing, all of the characters did things that people would actually do faced with situations of about that type. Crazy talk. I know. I know. I think my favorite thing was when he was like, come away with me. And she was like, no. And he's like, okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably how that would work actually <laughs> uh, and i i just really appreciate that that there was some care taken to jump over some uh, wooden let's call it wooden acting and responses to things in episodes one through three yeah 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 there were still some plot holes as people pointed out but I didn't think they were... One of them was in a planet. I, that's a planet hole, man. <laughs> I didn't think they were escaping as some people did, as well as not escaping as some other plot holes. But overall, it just worked. Can't ask much it more. It did. It was a lot of fun. And hooray for that. Hooray. Thanks to Andrew Fallows and Jeremy W. Sherman for sponsoring the show this month. The music at the beginning was Star Wars by John Williams. God bless. It's awesome. Fair use. If you'd like to sponsor the show, you can pledge monthly at patreon.com slash winning slowly or give a one-off at cash.me slash winning slowly. As always, 10% of whatever you give us goes from us to the Internet Archive so that when web pages disappear, we have a backup. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes or recommend us in your podcast app directory so others can find the show. You can find show notes for this week's episode with links to the couple 
things we mentioned as well as of course to the soundtrack for the force awakens because it's awesome why aren't you listening to it right now oh right because you're listening to us sorry uh you can find those show notes at winningslowly.org slash 4.03. And last but not least, we love hearing from our listeners. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at winningslowly, on our Facebook page, or by sending us an email at hello at winningslowly.org. As always, thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. very large American and or Western brand. It's really hard to say brand tonight. I know. I messed it up too. <laughs> Though episode seven is basically British people in uh, space. So. That's true. They're all British. <laughs> Even BB-8 is British bot eight. I don't That's not true. That's, uh, we're going to cut that. <laughs> <laughs> I think you mean... <laughs> <laughs> yeah.